Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. I'm Ian Doyle. On today's podcast, we look at whether the global rush to find a vaccine for the coronavirus pandemic is getting any closer to completion. We have, you know, one in 10,000 side effects. That's way more, 700,000 people who will suffer from that. So really understanding the safety at gigantic scale across all age ranges, you know, pregnant, male, female, undernourished, uh, existing comorbidities, it's very, very hard. And that actual decision of, okay, let's go and give this vaccine to the entire world, governments will have to be involved because there will be some risk and indemnification needed before that can be decided on. That was Bill Gates, one of the world's biggest scientific philanthropists, whose foundation are doing a huge amount of work about vaccine research around the world. And he was speaking on the problem of creating a vaccine on such a global scale that we've never seen before, as they race against the clock to limit further spread. For today's main piece, I spoke to Ailish O'Regan, who is the health correspondent for the Irish Independent, on what a potential vaccine might look like and the many obstacles that could prohibit it being rolled out in the short term. depends, obviously, how effective the vaccine is when it's eventually developed and licensed. It could give us maybe 70% protection or that would maybe kind of, you know, leave maybe 30% then um, unprotected. But it would, essentially, a vaccine just gives us an ability to resist the virus. And what is the process then that goes into creating a vaccine that can be put on the market? And for something on this scale, how would it differ to the normal process that, you know, a pharmaceutical company might take? There's a lot of fast tracking going on at the moment. And um, we actually have to thank uh, China for that because I'm not desperate to fail with the whole science of it. But I do know that um, early on there, China made early attempts to sequence the genetic material of SARS-CoV-2. Now, that is the virus that causes, you know, the coronavirus. And this has given, you know, scientists a head start around the world in, in being able to grow the live virus and examine how it impacts on the person who is infected. And that then really accelerated, you know, the whole manufacturing and testing of potential corona vaccines. Now, there's a number of them actually being looked at around the world. There's about 41 potential vaccines. And then I think there's about five of them now that have actually entered human trials. And they're using different mechanisms. There's one, for instance, Moderna, and that has started testing its product on humans. And volunteers have received the vaccine. 
in Seattle and Washington. And the aim there is to monitor side effects with the hope then of going on to the next step and having larger tests. But you were asking me there what vaccines do. In Moderna's vaccine, it aims to stimulate the immune system. So it would stimulate our own immune system to make similar proteins to the killer virus, which you can then combat. So um, there's different variations, as I understand it, being um, looked at. The best case scenario, what would immunisation look like and when would we hopefully see a vaccine that would properly come in place? Well, it's going to take time. That That's something we just have to live with. We were talking about maybe 18 months, but there's one that's actually been looked at by Johnson & Johnson and um, that's backed by a huge investment from the United States of around 457 million euro. And they actually have what's known as a candidate vaccine, so they're expecting human trials to begin in September. But Moderna, this other one that I was referring to earlier on, they think that they might have it earlier, but again, we're talking about early 2021. So that means essentially that we have to live with this coronavirus ebbing and flowing for most of 2020. Not to be despondent, obviously, there's other areas of treatment uh, and all of that that have been looked at. For instance, there's other trials underway to see if perhaps patients who are in critical care, if certain existing drugs, say anti-malarial drugs, would improve their outcomes and all of that. So while we're all looking towards the vaccine, there's other work going on as well, which could perhaps, as I said, save lives really at the end of the day. For some of the exploratory medicine or even uh, treatments that have already been proven to work for different illnesses, are they more so focused on patients who already have contracted COVID-19 and to reduce the harm on them? Or is it to also help prevent people from getting it? No, the vaccine is the one that will prevent people. And uh, that's our best weapon. And if we had that in sufficient quantities and if it was passed as safe, and all of that, that would make a massive difference. But equally, you know, it's it's very important that if somebody gets the virus and gets seriously ill with it, doctors have access to uh, treatments which can improve their chances of survival. So that's very important too, rather than sort of wringing our hands and waiting for, for, for the vaccine, because the improved treatments for people who are seriously ill would have a huge difference in terms of, of survival and saving lives. And Ireland is actually involved in global trials in relation to, to those drugs. So that's very heartening as well. Really, there's a lot of work underway. And uh, as I said, even if we have to live with this, which we will for 2020, there will be advances definitely one hopes in in terms of treatments as we wait for the vaccine. Financially how does all of this work because obviously a lot of big pharma companies have garnered a pretty poor reputation and how it functions I suppose in a monetary sense for the last few years like will profit seeking perhaps kind of prevent a quicker and more efficient rollout of a vaccine when it does become available or is there just more of a focus on trying to create something that will help everyone? We might actually have several vaccines you see you know there could be different versions of the coronavirus vaccine so for the company that produces the first one, they've hit the jackpot, but other companies could produce a vaccine that perhaps maybe works better on a particular cohort of the population or or that. So there's an awful lot of philanthropic type of investment as well going into all of this. It's, it's, it's not just dependent 
on, you know, the pharma companies alone. And as I said, just as an illustration there, you know, the United States has given Johnson & Johnson $500 million and that. So this is where a big pharma comes into its own and they often get a bad reputation and all of that. But we're very much dependent on them now to get us out of this. Do you know if a vaccine does arrive or various vaccines do arrive Will it be possible to produce and create enough to cover the global population and how that might work? I know there's been some fears about even countries stockpiling medication as well and the WHO have tried to come out to prevent that, but no real measures have been put in place so far. Yes, well, Johnson & Johnson, one, which I refer to again, they say that they will provide the vaccine for free. But we know that there are often vaccine shortages, for instance, the TB vaccine, which again, I, I omitted there to mention, there's great hopes that that actually can um, help people to resist the virus. And uh, the majority of people in Ireland, we've had this mass vaccination scheme for years now. Babies get it in the maternity hospital before they leave. But in the last five years, we've had a shortage of TB vaccine. So... The problem is once they actually get the go-ahead for this new coronavirus vaccine, there will be massive, massive demand around the world and there'll be lots of competition in between countries to get supplies. So that's the next hurdle there. And then individual countries, if they have only a certain limited supply, they will have to decide who gets it first. Mm. Now, obviously, you would go for the at-risk groups first, but um, but, but that could be a huge hurdle that we have to cross yet. If we got to the stage where an actual successful vaccine was licensed, you know, we could see what could happen then. I would imagine there would be massive resources going into producing it as much as possible. Politically, obviously, vaccination has been a pretty hot topic in Ireland for a couple of years now. Do we know whether the state has the power to enforce mandatory vaccination laws? No, we don't have any. Nobody is forced to take, get any vaccine in, in this country it remains voluntary, though obviously it's advised very strongly. Childhood vaccines have had wonderful success in reducing you know, the incidence of common illnesses like measles and all that, saving lives. So most people avail of them. Now, there are people who have, I suppose, a deep-felt suspicion of vaccines, but no, there's no law in the country which makes it mandatory for anybody to get a vaccine. Obviously, today we're awaiting further news regarding further lockdown measures, and I think it's probably fairly safe to assume that we're going to be in the situation for at least a couple of weeks. How would a kind of phase exodus of the lockdown work eventually when we do get to a stage when some measures are going to be removed? Uh, what services would we begin to see reopening first, do you know? It would be a case of first in, last out. You know, in other words, that they'll start with the most recent, say, freedoms and closures that they took from us. So I would say that our personal freedoms would probably be allowed maybe uh, um, maybe people who over 70 who, who are cocooning now might be allowed maybe more freedom to go for a walk. The general public would be entitled maybe to go further than just the, the very limited areas that we have been advised to restrict ourselves to up to now. So I think personal freedoms elements of it will be loosened and then I would say that maybe we could see more shops open for instance the ones that are were closed there in more recent times, what would be termed non-essential. So you could have more maybe hardware stores or something like that opened. Whatever they decide on, the physical distancing still has to come into effect. So therefore, I don't see pubs being open for for, for a long time, unfortunately. And uh, I'd say mass gatherings, 
concerts, all that type of thing, they're way back mm. in, in the queue. It'll be tricky enough because it'll be done very tentatively. And actually, they'll be looking very closely in the next two weeks at uh, countries in Europe, you know, where they're actually now dismantling some of the lockdown measures. Do we know what has to happen before all of this then? What necessarily would the government be looking at? Well, I mean, it'll be all contingent on a few key factors, obviously. Number one would be, at the moment, there's a daily growth in new cases of around 9%. Like, that has to come down. That has to be dramatically brought down. We've already brought it down from over 33% in recent weeks, and it's down to 9%, but that's still not good enough. We need more improvement there. So that'll be one of the factors which will decide whether or not we're moving towards some sort of phased relaxation. Secondly, then, obviously, the other indicators would be the numbers of people being hospitalised, the number of people in intensive care units are the hospitals, again, under severe pressure, are there enough beds? And another key element, and nothing will happen until we actually have a proper testing regime. And at the moment, obviously, people are waiting about, um, could be waiting up to 14 days for the return of a test. And uh, we have to have a testing regime where test results are available within 24 to 48 hours. And that means that it allows for proper surveillance of the spread of the virus. And it also means that if there's any spike or any particular area of spread that's causing particular worry, some of the restrictions then might be reintroduced. It could be just on a localised basis. Say, for instance, a particular spike in Galway or whatever, then maybe they might reintroduce some of the measures just in the West, the country, instead of the blanket national restrictions, you could have it localised. But that whole area about having a proper, what they call real-time testing regime is key to us actually getting any form of relaxation. Without that, they couldn't move. That was episode 16 of Viral COVID-19. I would like to thank Ailish for your contribution on today's podcast. Make sure you check out some of our previous episodes where we've covered topics such as how the 5G conspiracy became a global phenomenon and what lockdown looks like on six different continents. We will be back next Wednesday for more updates on the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 